Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and this is my podcast. I'm a scientist, a physiologist, an author, and I love exploring how to live a high-performance life. In my books, my presentations, and this podcast, I am doing my best to translate hard science and powerful experiences into actionable, effective life performance strategies. Using the latest research on the brain and the body, this podcast will show you simple but transformative strategies that boost mental and physical health, advance careers, and upgrade lives. I am committed to changing one life at a time for the better. I want to focus on health, happiness, and performance, and I call my mission the billion person problem. And I don't kid myself that I'm going to reach a billion people, but that's the dream and the space where my passion, my expertise, and my practices all come together. My passion is to help people live healthier and more impactful lives. My expertise lies in the research that I both try to conduct and engage in for a living. And my practice is devoted to providing evidence-based insights and strategies that make it possible to achieve personal and professional success. And that is what this podcast is all about. I hope that you love the show and it makes a big difference in your life. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Dr. Greg Wells. And without any further delays, let's dive into this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's great to be with you. I'm so pumped about today's interview. We're going to chat with the Knight of the Americas, Felipe Liete, and this is all about crafting an amazing life and following your dreams, uh, changing your life in order to be able to follow your dreams. Let me tell you a little bit about Felipe. He's a journalist, cowboy, author, and adventurer who rode horseback from the Centennial Calgary Stampede to Ushuaia, Argentina. That is the very bottom tip of South America that took that journey took five years from 2012 to 2017. He was born in Brazil and was raised in Canada. He graduated in journalism from Ryerson University in Toronto. He has worked for Omni TV, CBC Radio and Rede Globo. He currently writes for several publications in Canada and Brazil, including the Toronto Star and Trip magazine. Now, during his 23,500 kilometer journey in the saddle, Felipe filmed a reality series for the Lonely Planet's Out Wild TV, which is in post-production, and wrote a book released by HarperCollins, which spent 13 weeks on the bestseller list in Brazil in August of 2017. The English version of the book came out worldwide in 2018. It's called Long Ride Home Guts, Guns, Grizzlies, and it became a number one bestseller on Amazon and is currently being adapted into a major motion picture. I am super fired up about this interview. I had a blast with it. Felipe's fascinating. This interview actually got teed up because Felipe did a keynote speech that my mom and dad were at, and they immediately called me and said, you have to interview this guy for your podcast. I called him up, and we got this done really quick. Felipe's amazing. Uh, I'm super excited about this. Please enjoy. You can check him out on Instagram and Twitter at Felipe Massetti, F-I-L-I-P-E-M-A-S-E-T-T-I. And you can check out his website, cavalieroamericas.com.br. So that's C-A-V-A-L-E-I-R-O-D-A-S-A-M-E-R-I-C-A-S.com.br. 
I totally butchered the pronunciation of that. So in order to keep me from making any more mistakes, let's dive right into this interview. Please enjoy my chat with Felipe Liete on pursuing your dreams. Felipe, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So take me through this amazing journey that you're on. Like, how did it get started? What are you doing? I'm fascinated. No, thank you so much. Uh, so it all started with a dream. Uh, it was my life's dream to ride horseback from Canada to Brazil uh, when I was a young kid. Uh, I, first of all, I was born into you know a horse family. My dad was a cowboy. Uh, his grandfather was you know a cowboy, and uh, it was just passed down from generation to generation. And when I was very young, he used to read me uh, Chifley's Ride, which is a beautiful book that tells the story of Aim Chifley, a Swiss school teacher who in 1925. Uh, against all odds, rode horseback from Buenos Aires in Argentina uh, all the way to New York in the United States. And uh, that book gave birth to my desire, dream, uh, this longing to go on uh, on my own long ride. Holy smokes. So I would love to know about the moment when you made the decision, I'm going to do this, because that's a, that's not a normal like action that people take yeah. in their lives <laughs> and like just to give some context for like why we're actually having this conversation too like my mom and dad heard you speak at an event recently and they immediately called me and they said you have to get Felipe on your show um because he reminds us a lot of of you I actually took my bike to Africa and rode across Africa for five months and was, but so I'm I like I remember very clearly remember the moment where I decided to go ride across Africa and that was a bizarre day yeah but I would love to know like that moment when you made the decision no I'm actually going to do this so it was uh it was very gradual like I said it was always like a, a dream it was uh my entire life I would think about it imagine it um uh, daydream uh, about riding horses long distance. But I remember that when I was in, halfway through my uh, university, I studied journalism at uh, Ryerson here in Toronto. And uh, I was about halfway through and I, it was like the dream slowly morphed into a project. One day I was like, I questioned, I'm like, is it still possible to ride horseback and travel with horses in the 21st century? You know, like 1925 is, is a long time ago. So I started researching and came across a website uh, called the Long Riders Guild. Uh, it's an international organization uh, for men and women that have traveled more than uh, 1,200 uh, consecutive kilometers on horseback and um, and started talking to them and sa saw that there were people riding all over the world and was like, you know what, I just need to speak this to the, to the universe and then it will be, I'll have to make it become true. So one day I posted on Facebook, I was like, you know what, I'm going to ride a horseback to Brazil. And uh, it was funny because people's reactions are like, what? Are you drunk? Like that's impossible. <laughs> like, you know you can't do that, and uh, and that's when it started. That's when it went from uh, you know being this lifelong dream to an actual project. I had spoken the words, so uh, the only option was doing it from that point on. Yeah, it's cool when you put something out there into the universe that it sort of makes you uh, commit to it, and that actually is, I think, one of the great things about social media and the media is that when you put something out there publicly, you're you do have. Uh, accountability from a lot of the people that are watching you exactly. try to go along along this journey. So tell me about the logistics of of this event. Um, Sixteen thousand kilometers, from what I understand, and uh, just where did you start? How many horses? Um, what were some of the challenges? Like, just walk me through some of the this adventure for sure. So, um, yeah, the first challenge was I was a broke uh, university student. Uh, 
and I didn't have a, a single horseshoe to make this happen. So first thing I did was I got, I lived on Queen Street uh, and in Toronto, I had just graduated uh, university at this point, And I got one of the rooms in my uh, apartment and turned it into a war room. So what I did is I got a wall uh, in that room and I just glued a white Bristol board all over it and uh, started writing down everything I didn't need, the uncertainty, the things that I, the material I needed in order to make this happen, the paperwork, uh, bureaucracy, horses, equipment, everything, everything, everything uh, that was going to take in order to pull off this insane uh, dream. And uh, I spent uh, two years in that war room, not only uh, looking for the funding, which was super hard, uh, finding people to believe in a 23-year-old kid uh, who was telling them he was going to ride horseback to Brazil. I might as well have been telling people I was going to fly off to Mars because the reaction I got from them was always like, no, no, you can't do it. (laughs) This is impossible. And uh, so it was really hard. It was a very... uh, it was a time where I was tested, a very testing time. And I feel like I always tell people the universe was um, getting a feel of whether I really wanted to do this. And uh, it just takes focus. You know, I thought about this thing like 24 hours a day. I had uh, two other jobs that I worked uh, to to pay the bills. And that night I would just work on this project nonstop, sometimes till four or five in the morning uh, until one day, uh, two years later, a production company out of Nashville flew me down and uh, told me that they were going to you know, pay me monthly in order to shoot a reality series for them, gave me all the equipment I needed, the cameras, uh, the cards, the batteries and whatnot. And, uh, and at that point, I had the money and I had the equipment. And then uh, a couple weeks later, uh, I got my first horse, a Bruiser, a um, quarter horse from Montana. A week after that, I got my second horse, Frenchie. And uh, at that point, I had everything I needed. I got the saddles also given to me. So those two years were, was a very hard time in order to get everything I needed. But I also uh, had to get the knowledge and the skill in order to do this. So I spent uh, a lot of time doing research, speaking to long riders uh, around the globe, men and women that had you know jumped into the saddle and, and ridden off to the unknown. And I learned uh, from them how to travel on horseback, which is a lost art. Uh, so the strategy and planning for this beast uh, was extremely important. I always tell people, uh, luck doesn't exist. It's always about just uh, preparing for the worst. You hope for the best, but you prepare for the worst, and you prepare for the worst over and over and over again until you know exactly uh, what you're in for and what you need, and and uh, and you have the skills and the knowledge in order to make this happen. Interesting. I heard Chris Hatfield, who's uh, an astronaut, speak, and one of the things he said was that they drill over and over and over again, your response to crisis. So for example, if you're in the International Space Station and a fire a fire starts, you know exactly what to do because you've actually practiced for the worst case scenario and you've done it, it needs hundreds to of times. Memory, right at that point, when you're dealing with life and death and, and uh, what he yeah. with, it needs to be muscle memory, your reaction to these uh, emergencies, right? And so what did you prepare for? Like what were some of the things that you um, got yourself ready for? Uh, so basically, number one is how to keep your horses healthy, right? Because you're not uh, your mode of transportation doesn't have a uh, you know engine, uh, so it's uh, it has a heart, and uh, and you need to make sure that your horse is in the best health possible. Otherwise, you're not traveling one single kilometer. So that means you know being a an animal nutritionist, a little bit of a vet, 
knowing how to shoe horses and uh, and knowing everything it takes to balance their hooves and and the well-being and, and taking care of those uh, those feet because your horses are walking 30 kilometers a day how many kilometers to ride a day uh, was something that I came upon speaking to different long riders what kind of equipment to use the saddle the saddle pads um, everything is so important because if you uh, are not treating your animal right and if you don't know um, all those things I just named off you literally don't travel longer than three four days because very quickly um, you're you're not going to have a, a mode of transportation to 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 continue so that was extremely important I also uh, lost as much weight as possible worked on my core uh, hit the gym a lot um, everyone that I spoke to told me I was going to lose a lot of weight uh, so I tried to get a light as light as possible uh, also for your horses they're carrying you um, all day so extremely important and uh, and yeah but I think the biggest uh, the biggest uh, portion of the planning that I had to do uh, was speak to these long riders and obviously ride uh, horseback as much as possible. Because you're when you, once you start, you're uh, you're riding eight to ten hours a day every day, sleeping on top of saddle blankets, not showering. So it's not a very easy life. And uh, if you're used to riding and being in the saddle for long periods, it helps you. Out. Interesting. So a while ago, as I was writing um, a book called The Focus Effect, uh, I interviewed. Ian Miller. And Ian Miller is an eight-time Olympian. He's an equestrian athlete, so show jumping. And I've got a quote from him that I'd run to, love to run by you and get your take on it. So here's what Ian said, quote, there's a total mind-body connection between the rider and the horse. Your stress levels and the horse's stress levels are intimately linked. Just having a thought impacts the horse. So managing yourself is absolutely critical. I can imagine that over, and that's the end of the quote, and the, I can imagine that your psychology impacts the horse, vice versa. So you, you, know, you managing your own stress would be, and you're linked to this animal so intimately. Like It's not just simply going out for a ride or a run or a walk or anything like that. Like There's a huge factor of another uh, living being that you're doing this journey with. And so uh, I just love your sort of what's like what your thoughts are on that quote and if that's something that applied to you. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, first of all, Ian is a uh, monster. Um, he's amazing. Yeah, he's an unbelievable athlete. Yeah, amazing but, athlete, yeah. horseman. And uh, just to, to get to the level he uh, he got is uh, very telling of the kind of person he is, his dedication, uh, work ethic, and uh, his horsemanship, because it's it's not easy to compete at that, you know, at the highest level. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Horses are prey animals. They live in a herd, uh, so they're extremely perceptive. They have to know uh, when danger's around because for them it's it's life or death. So if you go near a horse as a human being um, and you are nervous, uh, the horse immediately picks up on that. Uh, and uh, And now all of a sudden he's nervous because he wants to understand why you're nervous because in his world, when there's another animal uh, in his herd that is uh, sending off those uh, – you know, that red light, it usually means there's something coming to kill them or something's wrong. So that's why it's so dangerous. You know, people will say like, don't get nervous first time you get on a horse, uh, because as soon as you get on his back, he can, he can feel anything that's happening. He can smell it on your body before you even climb into that saddle. And, uh, when you're sending off that, that fear, um, it's, it's an alarm to him. And, uh, usually he'll take off running or bucking or he'll be in the stress. And uh, that's just one example. But when you travel with horses 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, they become an extension of your body. And, uh, and, and you, there's um, like there's they were my legs. 
Uh, I feel like half a man when I'm when I'm not on a horse these days. Um, I always say that I'm a better human being today thanks to the horse. Like the the greatest lessons I've learned in my life uh, came from these animals. And um, yeah, the synergy is just so huge when you're when you're traveling uh, with horses. You get to first of all see every pebble on the road. You're traveling at four kilometers an hour. Um, there's no sound. You know, horses don't have engines, so you're able to hear. Uh, nature around you and and really be immersed in it and you're at an elevated level you know being on top of a horse you're higher than a car or a motorbike Uh, so you're really able to see everything around you and and to me it's the most beautiful form of of traveling there is Um, I think even if you don't travel on horseback if you show jump or or compete in any kind of the equestrian sports or just or just like to ride down the trail it's uh it's something that's only beneficial to your life it's therapy uh you know both physical and mental and um yeah like my connection to the horse uh from this trip was was huge and and when i was going through things out there they knew and when they were going through uh through something i knew before it even happened by the end of the trip like it was literally like i could read their minds and they could read mine so uh, it's an amazing connection what was the route that you took so I started in uh, Calgary, Alberta, uh, at the Centennial Calgary Stampede. Uh, went into Montana, uh, from there Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas. From Texas, crossed uh, the Chihuahua Desert, uh, one of the largest in North America, to get into Mexico. Uh, from Mexico, all of Central America. Uh, from Central America, at the bottom, when we got to Panama, we uh, got into a big problem. Uh, just because borders are so complicated to cross on horseback today. There's so much bureaucracy, paperwork, and corruption uh, once you get to Latin America. Uh, we had to, uh, from Central America, we had to uh, cross over to Lima in Peru. Uh, from Peru, we continued down through Bolivia, um, entered to the Sagadero, uh, which is the highest um, lake in the world, La, uh, Lago Titicaca, and then rode through the Andes uh, through Bolivia to get to Brazil into the Pantanal, uh, the largest wetlands in the world. Finally got to Brazil and uh, rode three months in Brazil till we got to the largest rodeo in Latin America, uh, Bajetos, 40,000 people. Uh, it was insane. It's like a soccer stadium. And I retired my horses uh, in my family's ranch um, just south of, uh, of that rodeo. Were they, uh, were they happy to be done? Like, what do you think? <laughs> Cause it seems like were they, when you say retired, I can just imagine these guys like walking off into the fields and just eating grass and just kind of like, Oh, I'm done. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, horses don't, uh, you know, they, they don't, they, it's not like a person doing this, right? They, 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 they don't think like we do, but, uh, yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, they, they love the trip. Uh, they were, uh, I could tell, uh, that's the other beautiful thing about this is that, you literally see these animals evolve so much and mature, uh, both mentally and physically as well. Like my horses were so calm, cool, and collective when we got to Brazil. Uh, they had crossed cities, towns, swim, rivers, uh, gone up some of the hairiest mountains in the Americas, crossed deserts. Uh, so they faced off, you know, uh, they've lived a more full life than most human beings. Uh, and when they arrived, they were so beautiful and strong and their coat was so shiny um, you just see how like it's so natural for horses to walk um, mm. and, and to travel because it's something innate in them, you know, like when they were wild and they're still wild horses today, uh, they walk up to 40 kilometers a day looking for water, forage, uh, you know, and, and migrating with the weather and, and, and the animals. Uh, so it was very natural to, for them to walk. But obviously, uh, once we finished and I let them go into that 
beautiful pasture and they're still there today just eating and drinking and doing nothing i'm sure they're not uh they're not you know disliking it uh horses love to eat and uh, they feel super safe there it's a great location for them a lot of shade and fresh water and they deserve it they're my heroes uh without them i wouldn't have traveled one kilometer never mind uh 16,000. uh they've given me the greatest gifts um in my life uh and uh, yeah i'm very thankful to them they're my kids they're my children it's the only way to uh to, to talk about Frenchie Bruiser and dude. And, uh, and now they deserve this early retirement. They're still young, but, uh, they deserve it. Yeah. Very cool. So what was the highest high and the lowest low of the trip? Uh, the highest high I think was, uh, leaving, uh, the Calgary stampede was a huge moment for me. I always talk, uh, when I do my motivational talks, I always tell people that, um, I meet so many people that tell me about their dreams and their desires and their goals. And a lot of them uh, never end up taking that first uh, stride uh, because in their minds, they tend to create these like huge roadblocks and, and, uh, and they fail in their minds before they ever take that first step. So for me, at the age of 25, to be taking that first step and trying, which is the most important thing, I didn't know how far I was going to get, but there I was trying, uh, was a huge moment for me because two years before I didn't have anything and uh, the second high was uh finishing the journey getting to that huge rodeo in brazil these guys build a statue of me and the horses which is insane um and just like just doing it you know like just showing people that if you have a dream and you're willing to work for it anything is possible like everyone said i wasn't going to be able to do it uh two years and three months prior and there i was with my kids uh finishing at the finish line so it's a, a moment where i for a second it felt like my uh, spirit was out of my body. I never, I've never felt so close to God before, uh, and I don't think I'll ever experience a moment like that again in my life. Uh, the low, I think um, there were several, but uh, in Honduras, Tegucigalpa, the capital, uh, I was staying at a house, and uh, the owner of the house tried to kill his wife with five gunshots, and uh, I watched the whole thing go down and couldn't really do anything about it. It felt like my feet were like cemented to the ground. Uh, I wanted to help the woman, but like the explosion, you know, the combustion of that gunpowder, the, the smell of it, the taste of it, it was so close to me. And her yells of desperation, just like pleading uh, for that man not to kill her uh, was just terrible. And I, I still have nightmares about that uh, to this day. So, and no fun. Um, wow. Uh, like I've had some pretty crazy experiences traveling, but nothing to that um extreme like how did you get yourself out of that situation like that's just i i i have to ask a little bit more about about that i probably know you probably don't want to get into it but like that's just something that most people hopefully will never even you know read about much less actually be in the same location and you know smelling the gunpowder and feeling the concussions of the, of the gunshots. Like what, how did you get yourself out of that situation? Uh, so I was the only person staying there. And, uh, obviously as soon as like he fired the last shot and everything went quiet, I didn't know if he had like, if he had killed her, like, I don't know. I didn't know what, if he was going to come kill me. Cause I, I'd obviously heard the whole thing and, uh, yeah, like a million things crossed my mind at that moment. I, uh, I I figured out that I could, you know, put things in front of the door if he tried to bust in uh, the dresser and whatnot. And I could probably survive if I jumped out the window. And and I I was uh, I was stopped in Tegucigalpa because one of my horses were hurt. 
uh, and I had been there for several weeks. It's a very, it's a very dangerous um, city. Honduras is the most dangerous country in the Americas today, the most uh, deaths per capita. To enter the country, I had to befriend a drug lord, spend three days in his home. Um, I saw two people shot dead in Central America. So it, it's not a very pleasant place I, at the same time that it's beautiful and the people are the nicest people you ever meet in your life uh, due to the war on drugs and, and the transportation of drugs from um, where they're grown in um, Peru and Bolivia to where they're consumed uh, in the streets of the U.S. and Canada. They have to travel through this bridge, right, which is Central America and, South, and uh, Mexico. So it creates for very dangerous places like the situation I lived. And uh, But you just get through it. I, um, I remained calm. I tried to uh, not freak out. And then uh, I stayed there, slept. The next day I found out the woman uh, didn't die. The guy didn't come try to kill me, thankfully. Uh, he was a very bad shot. Um, he, he wounded her but didn't kill her. And I ended up staying there another uh, two weeks. But, um, yeah, it's just things that you live with when you uh, cross countries like that. It's very sad. Uh, for me, you know, I was selfishly there trying to follow my dream and whatnot. But uh, it always hit home for me, the people that lived there, like that woman, uh, the mothers I met, you know, who were scared of – letting their kids play on the streets because they don't know if they're going to be taken hostage and or killed or hit with a stray bullet. Um, very sad because beautiful people, they're so nice, uh, but they live uh, in, in war in our own continent. You know, it's hard to imagine. We talk about wars in like faraway places, but, you know, there, there's war right here in the Americas. Wow. Um, how did all that change you? Like, how did you, you left and left Calgary as a you know, journalism student, I'm sure when you rode into the stadium in Brazil and there's statues of you that, you know, you're a different human being after that. What, uh, what happened to you? Like, how did you shift? What, what's the perspective? Uh, how are you different? How'd you grow? Um, I think, uh, yeah, there's no way of like, you know, the, the journey like this changes you. I think I matured a lot. I think I left, uh, I left Canada just as journalism student, literally, uh, although I had just graduated, but I was still very young and um, wondrous eyes. And uh, and then I just became a man. Like I, I, I went to war um, and uh, arrived in Brazil, a much different person. Nothing would ever be the same. Some things for the good, some things for the bad. Uh, dealt with a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, I had the same symptoms of, of people with PTSD, like, uh, the six months after I finished the, the journey. But at the same time, I think, uh, it, it, someone asked me once, like, tell me the best part of your journey and what you learned and tell me the worst part and what you learned. And I told him what the best part and I couldn't really figure out what I'd learned. And, uh, I, I kind of realized that the good moments in your life, you don't really learn any important lessons. They just help you like, you know, be like, all right, I'm doing the right thing. Or they, they help give you, uh, you know, gas to and energy to continue your fight or whatever it is you do. Uh, but the low points um, and, and when you suffer, I feel like you learn so much more. So I think Felipe arriving in Brazil, uh, a completely changed person, uh, someone that gives way more value to family and time and, and uh, the real wealth of life. You know, sometimes we think things and, and money and material um, is what's truly important. But when you go on a journey like this and you eat uh, and, and eat, sleep in the, in the shacks of people that have nothing and realize how happy they are, um, you, you kind of realize what's truly valuable in life. I have way more patience today 
Uh, I traveled, you know, for long periods of time at four kilometers an hour, 30 kilometers a day. And that teaches you to have unbelievable patience, um, a way more natural uh, way of life and, and see how important it is not to throw trash on the ground or not to pollute a river because your horses have to drink from it and you have to drink from it. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of lessons today, like I know who I am, like I, I'd spend 10 days sometimes by myself without talking to anybody. And uh, it teaches you who you are. Uh, you have conversations that are really hard to have, conversations with yourself. And you kind of pry out these answers that you never otherwise could have. Um, I, I realized that my my limit is way further than I ever imagined it was because I push it almost every single day when you're on a journey like this. So, yeah, a lot of lessons uh, definitely changes you like uh, as a person. Like I said, some things for the good, some things uh, for the not so good, but I think in the end, uh, it's definitely way more positive than negative. And uh, I'm sure I- I'm so glad I-, I always say that I got my, uh, bachelor's, uh, of journalism from Ryerson, but I got like my, you know, master's in humanity, uh, from this journey, from just being in the saddle. I love that idea. Uh, and I totally agree with you. I rode my bike from Cairo to Cape town when I was a little bit slightly older than, than you, but That's right awesome. after I finished school and, uh, took five year type five months to go do that. It felt like five years, but it was five months. And yeah, some of those conversations that you have with yourself while you're exercising and you're out there and you're riding by yourself and you're tired and you're stressed and you're hungry and you're injured. And you know, it's, you don't learn from the great, I loved the great days. There was an amazing day when we were cycling through the clouds up and down these mountains that I'll never forget. It was incredible, amazing, wonderful, fantastic. Uh, I remember coming up through the clouds and seeing, you know, people at a church and they were singing hymns and this sound was echoing all over, like incredible, wonderful, but you learn about what you're uh, truly capable of, not from those days, but from the the days when you're suffering. And so I'm wondering if there's any of those moments that stick out for you where you are having one of those those <laughs> you said like, you know, the conversations that you're having with yourself and you dig out sort of answers. Uh, are there any of, is there a conversation that sort of sticks out as something that was like a difficult conversation to have and something that, that you discovered from it? I just, just love to get insight on those moments when change, uh, or insight actually happens when you're, when you're in difficulty or when you're stressed or when you're tired. Cause I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. And I think a lot of people probably think of these moments as purely negative when in fact, I actually think they're, they are the moments when we truly grow as humans. Yeah. 100%. Any thoughts on that would be great. hundred percent. I think that when you, yeah, you got, and that's why it's so important to travel. Like I, I always tell people like, yeah, you learn a lot about different cultures and people and languages and food and, and customs and whatnot. But I think what's most important about traveling is that you learn so much about yourself. And, uh, and yeah, like I was, cli- I was climbing a mountain into uh, Honduras. I, uh, through Central America, I had to, um, I traveled a lot through, um, illegally like i'd cross one country to the next illegally through the mountains where they pushed you know cocaine arms whatever just because it was so hard hard and uh like it just there was no sense to it if you try to do it legally like these guys would try to like uh just take money from you right they put up all these like um these problems just so they you'd pay them off so there i was going into honduras the most dangerous country in the americas as a journalist riding horseback through the mountains and uh, it was the rainy season and it was just such a hard uh, mountain crossing. I had to, it was 30 kilometers just going uphill and there were so many stones and mud 
that the horses couldn't walk up by themselves. So I had to literally like take, I had three horses that I traveled with uh, for everyone listening right now. So you can kind of get a mental picture. I'd ride one, uh, one would take the pack saddle and the other one would come bareback uh, on the other side. So I'd pull two and, and ride one. Um, so this day I literally had to walk one horse up uh, 200 meters, go back, fight my way up this muddy mountain with the second horse, go back, uh, get the third horse, take him up. And uh, this is all like 45 degrees, so humid in the middle of a jungle. You know, it rains, it stops, it rains, it stops. And on the other side of the mountain, there's a drug lord uh, waiting for me to arrive. So I was so scared that day uh, about what was waiting for me. I was so scared I was going to lose one of my horses because they, they were breathing so heavily. It was so humid. They just like they couldn't catch their air and they were trying to climb this mountain super high elevation. Their lungs weren't, you know, were having a hard time expanding. I was having a hard time breathing, living, never mind getting up this mountain. I just wanted to quit. I wanted to cry. I wanted to disappear. Uh, I wanted to just like be in my mother's arms. I wanted to be with my friends in Toronto having a beer. Uh, I just did not want to be there. Uh, but I just, at that point, I realized that like, there's a beautiful saying that, uh, true strength is not in muscles, but in the mind and the soul. And uh, those are the moments where you realize it because you just push past that level where, you know, you think you're going to reach your limit. You're like, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on. And then you realize, you know, that your limit is so much further, like I said before. And, and you get this like power that comes from who knows where your heart, uh, the universe, God, whatever. And you just find it in you to keep going and you get <clears throat> to the summit of that mountain and when you get there um it's so crazy because you just as much as the road up that mountain was so hard and nearly like swallowed you you immediately start dreaming of the next summit and uh you want to go to that next dream and and uh, climb that next mountain and, and that's so crazy to me because uh it's literally what happens when you finish these dreams and these journeys it's like getting to the top of a mountain it's just like as soon as i finished this first trip I thought I'd never go on another journey again. And I was like, all right, what's the next adventure? Like you get uh, addicted to this adrenaline and uh, to feeling your, your blood pump through your veins and, and living like humans lived for such a long period of time, um, surviving, survival. And uh, I think uh, a lot of the problems we have today with, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, kids, you know, not knowing what to do with their lives uh, comes from life being too easy. And when you when you live these these moments of uh, of literally survival and and this like survival uh, whatever a chemical kicks in in your brain and in your body, I think that that's the way humans lived for so long, and, and it gives you a more uh, fulfilling um, existence. Sorry, I talk way too much, uh, so feel free to edit. Do not edit. stop. I'm like <clears throat> I'm like <laughs> hanging on every single word, and I'm so. Sorry. I want you to actually go. No, no, please. Like that's the whole purpose of this is to actually hear from you because you've done things that are off the charts. Um, you started to talk about something, and I want I wanted to keep that line of conversation going because actually just yesterday I was having this conversation about life being too easy, and that's one of the reasons why we have a, I think very specifically an, an anxiety challenge in our world these days, especially with kids, because that they've never had to struggle. Everything's been done for them. They're never allowed to fail. And so as a result, like the fact that we can't fail in school is just absolutely in ridiculous. Yep. Um, 
you, like uh, I could go on and on and on, but, and I actually had a conversation with a clinical psychologist about this yesterday. And I was, I was like, what's your take on anxiety? And she basically said the exact same thing. So it's cool that you're saying it from an experience perspective. She's saying it from a clinical practitioner perspective. And that I think is just a reason why we need to get out there and travel, a reason why we need to do things that are a little bit different and never be afraid to fail, do things that are hard, take on challenges, overcome them, struggle, fight. Uh, and that really gives you uh, an increased spectrum of experiences in your life that make normal life uh, more manageable, I guess. Whereas if you don't have those experiences, normal life seems like it's extreme when in fact, in vast majority of places where people who are listening to this podcast live, that is, uh, it's just not extreme. We're, we're extraordinarily safe. So finding these, not to say that you need to go have a conversation with a drug Lord in the mountains of Honduras, but, uh, yeah. So any of your thoughts on that to expand on that, I think I'd, I'd be super interested to hear about what you have to think, what you have to say about it. No, man. Like I, I totally agree with, uh, with what you're saying. Like it's just, um, life's, and I mean, once again, like we're just, you know, there's obviously people out there in the world <clears throat> that are struggling and, and continue the fight and have to walk kilometers to get water. I'm sure you saw in Africa and, uh, you know, food's hard to come by. And, but for the majority of people, um, in the Western Hemisphere, the majority of people listening to this podcast right now, I imagine, uh, you know, you open a tap and you have water, you open your fridge, you have food, uh, you get in your car, drive to work, uh, you know, so it, it's a it's a cushy life. It's very comfortable. And and I think, uh, you know, the more I travel, the more I do this and I, and I, I kind of in a way live uh, the way humans used to live, which is like, you know, trying to find shelter every day, trying to find water, trying to find food, fend for yourself. There's a grizzly bear. He may eat you. You may not. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, we lived with those things um, for such a long period of time. They were such an important part of our lives. And then uh, very recently, they've been wiped out. You know, these are not no longer problems we have as humans. And I think it's left a large emptiness in our core and in our beings. And we're left like searching for for what? You know, what are we, what are we searching for? Why are we numbing ourselves? Why are so many people smoking weed, getting high, uh, to, whether it's pre prescription drugs or not? Like you meet so many of these housewives that are so, you know, freaking floating with with their doctors prescribing them a million pills for anxiety and depression and and whatnot. And I think the biggest their problem, their biggest problem is that they're just it's a lack of uh, real problems. And um, I don't want to sound like you know I'm I'm, I'm putting people's ways of, of lives down at all. Please, that's not that's not what I'm saying. I, don't want, I make sure make sure I don't sound like that. Uh, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like I'm just uh, I just think that sometimes our these basic instincts of survival are, are are very important to humans, and we're in a moment of it's a crossroads right now. I think the human. Uh, body and mind and everything is changing because the world is changing uh, in such a fast uh, manner uh, that I think that we're generating a lot of problems with it. And the other part of it is what you said, like these kids that don't fail, like we create this Disney world um, life for them when life is not a Disney film. And uh, when they finish school, they are going to fail and they are going to get fired. And, you know, banks are, you know, going to take their things away if they don't pay the bills. Uh, so I wish that schools would teach kids that and not paint this like, you know, everything is going to be fine and, and uh, everything works out in the end picture uh, because I think that it doesn't teach people to struggle. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I um, heard about um, 
students complaining about anxiety related to public speaking and how schools shouldn't make kids feel anxious and force them to get up at the front of the class and to, and to do speaking. And that to me was just a perfect example of everything that's wrong in our education system. Uh, <laughs> not just from the, you know, I've infinite respect for educators. I spend an enormous amount of time in the education system and their commitment is off the charts. Their yeah. personal professional development is off the charts. Um, but I think we've become very afraid of challenge recently. And again, all of this is not to take away from people who have, who are struggling. And there's a lot of people who are legitimately totally struggling. Oh, there's a lot of people with legit mental health challenges, schizophrenia, manic depression, et cetera. It's like, those are... And, in, and some people with clinical anxiety, clinical depression, there's a lot of people that are struggling with that. I think that there are ways, however, <clears throat> from many of these conversations that I've had specifically on this podcast, actually, uh, that we can mitigate that and prevent it and hopefully craft a, a better life for ourselves, which is all of the, uh, I think, the large inspiration behind what you're doing. So what's next for you? Or what do you, what's the the mission behind what you're doing? What's the purpose become? You've come home, you've, you've accomplished this incredible journey, this amazing adventure. I'm sure your eyes are focused forwards now. What's next for you? What are you working on? What's the mission? What's the purpose? Where's all this taking you? Uh, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I got to Brazil. Uh, I left in 2012, July 8, 2012. I got to Brazil in September of uh, 2014. Um, wrote my book, my first book, uh, just released it. It's titled Long Ride Home. Spent seven months writing that book. Uh, it was very hard. And then uh, two years editing the book and and uh, and getting it out finally, which was another arduous journey of its own. Um, it, it was released in Brazil last year. It spent 11 weeks in the bestsellers list. I just released it in July at the Calgary Stampede uh, on Amazon. Became a number one bestseller on Amazon.ca. Uh, really happy about it. And uh, last year, I uh, finished a second journey. I rode 7,500 kilometers uh, from Brazil, where I finished the first trip to Ushuaia, uh, the southernmost point in the Americas, known as the end of the world, uh, the southern tip of Argentina on a, a little island called Tierra del Fuego. Uh, I'm now writing my second book on that experience. Hopefully, uh, I'll be done uh, by December. Both these journeys are going to be a reality series. Uh, I shoot everything for a production company called Outwild TV. Uh, they own The Lonely Planet, uh, which is uh, you know the largest travel book company in the world. And uh, so that's going to be a two-season uh, reality show coming out soon. First season, Canada, Brazil. The second, Brazil, Ushuaia. I just sold the rights uh, to my first book to a uh, Brazilian production company. And they're going to be putting together um, a major motion picture with a Canadian production company and a Mexican production company. Uh, so that's going to be really exciting. Uh, that should be coming out within the next three to four years. It's going to be a, a fiction film uh, based on my story. And I'm planning... Uh, my last long ride, which is going to take me from Anchorage, uh, Alaska to Calgary, Alberta. I'm going to leave in May of uh, 2019 and finish July of uh, 2020. That will also become a book and uh, a third season of the reality series. Uh, my idea, like I do this because I'm following my instincts and I've always been very true to myself and listening to the universe. And I just feel like uh, everything... I've done is just taken me to the point of riding on the first journey. Like I just feel like it was my destiny. That's all I can really tell people. Like sometimes I don't, I don't understand why I'm doing all this, but 
it just feels like this is my path and I'm, I'm just, you know, going with the flow. I want to inspire people to follow their dreams. And, uh, you know, even if it, when it seems impossible, if you have the focus, if you have, you know, the work ethic, it's not going to be easy at all. Uh, but if you truly want it with your heart and your soul, uh, and your mind, nothing is impossible. So I hope to inspire kids and, and adults and everybody, uh, to follow their dreams and, and have a dream because with these journeys, I've come to realize that, you know, your dream is what's going to make you wake up every day and give 110%. Having a dream is going to, you know, make you work harder than you would otherwise. So I always tell people to, to try to uh, find out what it is that you want to do. It can be something simple like raising a family, uh, you know, uh, retiring early, uh, sailing on a, on a beautiful boat around the world. Whatever it is, make sure you know what that is. And you work towards that goal every single day. And uh, I think it's really going to help push people uh, to another level. So uh, that's what I do. I also, you know, there's a lot of different themes uh, involved in what I do as well. I love the natural way of life. Uh, so I want to inspire more kids to ride horses and uh, be outside and, and help protect our nature and not fight against it. I talk about global warming a lot because it's something I faced during my journey. Every country I went into was the hottest summer in the past generation. Uh, huge problems with droughts. Uh, so I want to inspire kids to to take care of their natural world more and realize how important it is. Uh, I talk about the war on drugs and uh, how I believe drugs should be legalized because I've seen people shot dead uh, because of it, innocent people. And I also come to Canada and the US and I see people using uh, drugs in a very legal manner. Uh, if you want to get it, you get it. So I don't, I don't, I don't understand why you know, the U.S. is fighting these warlike missions in Latin America and, and uh, you know, killing innocent people. Uh, I also talk a lot about the migration, uh, the illegal migration of uh, people from Central America uh, to the U.S. They walk and ride on top of trains for uh, upwards to three months uh, with children, and they're very desperate. Uh, they're living in terrible conditions, and uh, they make this desperate migration when they get to the U.S., uh, now under Trump's government, as we saw a couple months ago, uh, they're being treated like animals. Uh, families are split up. Kids are put into, into like literal cells and, and cages. And it's very sad because uh, these people are just looking for a better life. And uh, I met them. I ate with them, broke bread with them on the side of the road. Uh, so it's very sad for me to to see them being treated in this manner. So I want to do everything I can to to try to help get that, that out and, and create a more uh, just world within the Americas. And yeah, that's what this trip is all about, you know, following your dreams and, uh, and, and try to create a better world for, for everybody in a, a small manner, you know? Felipe, I'm so honored and privileged to have had you here and gain your insights and wisdom. How can people connect with you online? Uh, so uh, basically, they can watch everything on uh, outwildtv.com, www.outwildtv.com wildtv.com on my first journey there's tons of blog posts and uh, 90 dispatches short videos on that experience you'll also find my second journey uh, we only have one video up for that journey but a lot of blogs as well i also write for the toronto star uh, so if you uh, go on the toronto star website uh, and uh, search up my name felipe massetti Leite, you'll find uh, monthly articles on my uh, experiences on my journeys uh, or you can find me on instagram at Felipe Massetti, F-I-L-I-P-E-M-A-S-E-T-T-I. -T -T uh, tons of photos and videos uh, from my life as a whole. 
I know that you said that this was going to be your last long ride. I highly doubt that. So I'll be <laughs> tracking what you're up to and seeing what the future adventures you are in store for you. Thanks so much for taking the time, Felipe. I really appreciate it. Awesome, brother. Thank you. And thanks for, uh, for putting this podcast together and inspiring others to live a, a more wholesome life. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you joining me for this episode of the podcast. Your time is incredibly valuable and spending it with me is just mind blowing. I I thank you so much for doing that. It's great. If you want to support the show, if you enjoyed that segment and you want more, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on Google Play. That makes a huge difference for us. And then also, if you can let me know what you think. All of my social media are at Dr. Greg Wells. And of course, if you can share this with anyone in your network, it would be greatly appreciated as well. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll speak to you again really, really soon.